the power over money, unless you have the states issuing their own currencies, which that's another possibility, but you're really doing away with the federal system or you're either centralizing the economy more and the the fiscal system more, or you're going to have centrifugal forces uh, splitting it up more. But it's a very difficult problem in the United States that MMT lets you see as a problem in a way that uh, not, doesn't create any hopefulness for me about it, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy because you cannot finance these things on a local level in the way that you can on the federal level. But it's, I mean, again, maybe it's not even possible to make a change, but there's no way to make a change if you don't understand the truth Ex- about it. Exactly. No, I, I agree. It, it shows you the need to make some kind of change. And you're in, a, you're in a situation where that change is kind of very hard to make and very hard to conceive of how you're going to do it politically and constitutionally. And it shows you the problem of the United States of America as a, as a project constitutionally in, in a very stark relief. Welcome to Activist MMT, a podcast about nonviolent MMT direct activism, introducing modern monetary theory to the world and conversations about learning MMT together. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein. Today is part two of my two-part conversation with Marxist academic and blogger Jim Cavanaugh. Jim is taught at Princeton, Carnegie Mellon, and Wesleyan Universities. He was also a regular guest on the internet radio show Loud and Clear with Brian Becker and John Kirikow. He's currently an author at Counterpunch and editor at The Polemicist. Jim and I continue our conversation about the relationship between Marxism and the MMT and also take a brief diversion to talk about our prognosis for the coronavirus health crisis. A full introduction can be found before part one, but for now, let's get right back to our conversation. We should have a big military budget, and I am an imperialist. That's true. MMT does not force you to be anti-imperialist. That's not a part of the of the theory of the project. <laughs> it, 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 but but yeah. but it, but it doesn't uh, prevent you from doing it. And what it does is it puts the question in the framework. That's either right. It's a political decision. Do we want to be imperialist or not imperialist? <laughs> and there is there is on the other hand also you know. Yes, the, the the federal government can create as much money as it wants, but in fact, it can only create a finite amount <laughs> every year. <laughs> you know what I mean? At a time, because we only have finite resources. That's exactly right. Because we only. I mean, have finite I mean, we resources. can create at at a, at, a, at any moment in time. Yeah, we have a finite set of resources. We can create more, and they're born and exported, yes. imported, and, and so part on. Of the yeah. re- part, so, so you do want to say yes. We, you know, given the fact that we can only create a finite amount of uh, resources, we don't, and, and money also doesn't just buy resources, it helps to produce resources. That's, that's one of the things that's important, because, you know, if you use money correctly in a productive way, it, it encourages the production of resources. And we don't want politically to be encouraging the production of bombs and atomic bombs and weapons, and we want to do something else with it. So that's, it's not like the not exactly that there isn't a decision to be made, but the decision to be made is we take the money from here and put it here. Decision to make, we only have so much money at a time we can spend. So we should, we politically want to spend it on this and not that. That's a political decision. And it's, it's, it shouldn't be thought of as a monetary decision. Oh, we need the money from this to pay for this. No, you don't need the money to pay for that. You don't want to pay for that <laughs> because it's not part of what we want to do as a, as a society. 
It's not what we want to be as a society. And there are going to be some people who say, yes, it is what we want to do as a society. So you're going to have that fight as you do now. And, you know, I want to go I, back to, oh, you already, when you're finished, I have something else I want to say. Good. You, okay. Yeah. Remember what you wanted to say. Um, I see MMT, I see MMT as, as less of this is what we can do to stop the bad, which is like reduce the military and taxing the rich and all that stuff. Reduce less about how to stop the bad and more about how to, this is how you can do more good. Because once you do more good, then you're going to have more power to stop the bad. That's yeah. how that's, I think I, I see it more like that. It doesn't have, it doesn't have a statement on we should stop the bad. It doesn't have a comment on that at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, it implies it, it implies it, it makes it obvious, but it's more of this is the power of the economy to do good. That's how I see it. And the other comment I wanted to say was, uh, uh, you have a good line in your in your article. I don't remember the exact way you put it, but basically, people are very liberals, left, whatever, you know, non non MMT lefters, neoliberal progressives, are afraid of the idea of that taxes don't pay for stuff because they don't know of any other reason to tax the rich. So if taxes don't pay for stuff, then there's no reason to tax the rich. Like you say something to that effect in your article. Yeah, yeah. So, so they, they link those two things together that if we taxes don't pay for stuff, then there's no reason to tax the rich. And we really have to tax the rich. Therefore, taxes have to pay for stuff. It's a really twisted sort of cycle. That well, that, but that is that is exactly right. That People are afraid of that. And the capitalists are going to say, the rich are going to say, oh, taxes don't pay for Then you They don't have to tax me. And the answer is the, the reason to tax the rich is because they're too rich. You know, it's because they have atomic bombs. They have an atomic bomb. They're hoarding resources. They're hoarding something that's an important tool and in their hands becomes a weapon. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a supporter of gun rights. So I think people should be able to own personal firearms. I don't think people should be able to own atomic bombs (laughs) because (laughs) that gives them too much power. One of the things you want to do, dude, you don't go far enough. One of the things, one of the things that 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 a a democracy is, it's not just voting; it's it's distribution distribution of power in, and you got to think of all the ways in which that means something. And money in our society means power, and it's just you got to free your mind. So we need to have another reason. Why you need to make excuses to the rich that they're too rich. That's why we're going to buy. And when you know that the money doesn't come from them to begin with. The only reason it's kind of like you have a sh- you you feel like you you have no no justification in asking for the in taxing them unless it's paying for something. No, that's not the justification for taxing them. The justification for taxing them is we created the money to begin with and we get to determine where it goes. <laughs> well, you know this really this really really goes back to barter and chartalism because Barter means that money itself has a value and therefore you have to get it from somewhere. So it can't come from the government out of nothing. And chartalism is the idea that it comes out of nothing. And if it comes out of nothing, then we don't need the people that have the actual stuff in order to do stuff. So we don't need it. So make the rich irrelevant. We don't need them. Make them irrelevant. And And you you have a really good way of at the end of your article. I don't remember exactly how you say it, but – at the end of your article, it's like, what's more powerful? Saying that we desperately need your money and we're going to take it? Or something, I mean, you say it much better than I'm, I am I right said, now, but well, go, ahead. go ahead. No, I said, what's, no, I don't remember, what's, the, I don't remember what, how you say it. What's the, what's the better left slogan? Pay payroll taxes and increase them so we can have Medicare for all or abolish payroll taxes and have Medicare for all and Social Security and better Social Security and other things. It, as an as a, as a organizing slogan to working class people, you can say, oh, you got to pay these payroll taxes and you got to get some more of them. Or you can say, we don't abolish the payrolls and going to give you and keep your social security and make it better and may, and give you Medicare for all, et cetera. And you got to explain how that's possible, but you got to know yourself how it's possible in order to explain it. Uh, so that's. Yeah. Oh, here we know. go. I, fa- I found it. There are two possible ways to set the agenda. Well, number one, let's figure out how much we'll ta- how much tax we'll have to collect from the rich. Or two, let's ignore those f- <laughs> and do what we want. Which is more radical? Oh yeah, that's in the pre. Yeah. That's in the earlier essay. Yeah, the, the taxpayer money. Exactly. It's like oh, it's you know, the article. Okay. Yeah, it's like it's like saying you know, it's like you have a a, a, a tyrannical daddy. You know, you got to keep asking them what for something. You know, you say, oh, so I don't have to ask them for anything. You know, I just, I just go do what I want to do. 
If he doesn't like it, let him come, you know, and then we'll deal with the fact that he's tyrannical and, you know, go out and beat the shit out of him, <laughs> you know? I mean, but, you know, you don't have to, don't have to sit around and say, what are we going to get from him? That's, you, it's freeing, and it, it immediately gives you power. You're taking power on, to yourself to make decisions that you don't need those people around to make. You're, you're rendering and them And you can irrelevant. attend to the bleeding right now. Yep. You can yeah. attend to the bleeding right now. You don't need to win another fight before you can stop the bleeding right now. So I was going to switch to something else, which I think is important, really important Please. in the United States. And you brought it up a little bit when you were talking about property taxes, pay for schools. And, you know, this is one of the things that MMT kind of allows you to see how important this is. The distinction between the federal government, you know, being in the position of, of the money creator and the state governments, which do have to collect taxes and do have to get money from somewhere else. And this is something that I think, you know, is, is because we have this federal system in the United States of America, which is not the same as the European countries, et cetera, which are centralized non-federal systems in the same way. And there are different fiscal constraints for the federal government and the state governments. And this allows, this is a, a, a field in which capitalists have a field day, you know, and go around saying, you know, we're going to, we, you're going to, you're going to raise taxes in New York or we're going to leave New York. <laughs> you know, you're going to raise taxes, uh, property taxes. You're going to raise taxes on a business. We'll take our business elsewhere, you know? And that's when you see what MMT means, you see how important it is that that distinction is there and how it, it absolutely destroys communities. It's not just black and brown communities. I mean, my wife's parents live in rural Pennsylvania and, you know, that high school is 99.8% white, you know, they've lost their, their music and they've lost their art and they've lost, you know, th they have to pay in a community that, you know, the, 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 the gold, the coal mines are gone and that's the tax base and the companies are gone that were supporting them, you know, and, and that's the tax base of that community that pays for that school. So we have a, this demonstrates that one of the things that's very difficult to figure out what to do about in this country is that, is how are you going to, uh, to finance the way they need to be financed, the real infrastructure, the social infrastructure, schools, hospitals, medical care of communities around the country, which do depend on tax revenue. Do we have to start thinking about changing that, which is a very, you know, that's changing the federal structure of the country in a certain way. And the fact that the that, that states and communities think they have power or freedom from the federal government because they're, they're an independent state, you know, whatever, great state of California or whatever, you know, that really they, they're in a position of, of beggary in relation to their ruling class. Because they're not funded. They're because they're not because yeah. they're not federally funded. That's what you're saying. And, like, and for example, yeah. education. Right. They're not, they can't create money themselves. Therefore, and, and, and the federal government, you know, they, they, they crave their independence from the federal government. But if, and if they're going to be really independent, they're saying, oh, we got to create, raise our own money from our, but that money's coming from the ruling class of those, of those, of those communities and those states. This is a, this this is a reflection of money is not neutral. The exactly. federal government is not spending for what is desperately needed, and therefore everyone below them, all 50 states, all the cities, all the cities within those states, all the people fight each other over the scarce resources that are the, – the scarcity is foisted upon us. Well, it's, it's – it's, it's, I'd, I'd say the decisions about money are not neutral. But, but really it's also a structural fact of the United States of America, you know, that people don't don't get. And if you don't understand the distinction between the way states finance themselves and the way the federal government finances itself, and you think it's all the same problem, you know, the federal government has to pay, has to raise taxes just like the state governments do. You know, that also means the federal government's going to have even more power than it does over, over, over state governments. There's, there's a political fight over that, which is embed in which is embedded a class fight. This is one of the ways that the class maintains power. It does it from the ground up on a local level. We control the resources that the local community has, and we can set the, the, the ideological tone. You see, we need, we need, we, you need my, my, my taxes right here, and you need my taxes at the federal level. And it, it's, it's, it's a glaring reality that is true on the local and state level that then becomes easier to, to, 
promote and to project into the federal level. So this is a problem in, in, that's specific to the, the federal system we have in the United States that's very difficult to – how are you going to deal with that? You're really asking to do away with the federal system and, and, and have a uh, – you know, recognize that the power over money – unless you have the states issuing their own currencies, which that's another possibility, but you're really doing away with the federal system or you're either centralizing the economy more and the the fiscal system more, or you're going to have centrifugal forces uh, splitting it up more. But it's a very difficult problem in the United States that MMT lets you see as a problem in a way that uh, not, doesn't create any hopefulness for me about it, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy because you cannot finance these things on a local level in the way that you can on the federal level. But it's, I mean, again, maybe it's not even possible to make a change, but there's no way to make a change if you don't understand the truth Ex- about it. Exactly. No, I, I agree. And it, and it shows you the need to make some kind of change. And, you're in a you're in a situation where that change is kind of very hard to make and very hard to conceive of how you're going to do it politically and constitutionally, and it shows you the problem of the United States of America as a as a project constitutionally in in a very stark relief. You said a long you said a while ago that uh, MMT is agnostic. It's really it's only agnostic as far as the truth is agnostic, and the truth is really not agnostic. <laughs> Well, well, that's so, why that's why I say I, you know, I'll, I'll, I would imagine you're saying this decisions about money are are not neutral. I mean, money itself, yeah, yeah. I, this is a you know a semantic dis- distinction, but but that's right. You know, the truth is a power, and this is one of the things. And you know, leftists don't. You want to say if something is true, it must necessarily lead you here. That's not necessarily true. You know, uh, something is true. It provides a weapon, a tool that can become a weapon that will lead you there, that you can use to get there. It excludes the false solutions. Exactly. And and those false solutions will get you somewhere. That's the problem. But you'll run into a dead end and then you will, you'll be weakened. And, uh, and, and that's what you have to, you have to recognize the power of truth. Even when you don't see that it's going to lead you right away, how it's going to lead you where you want to go. Yeah, I mean that's the first step is is, is understanding the depth of your problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean you know the first step is understanding the depth of your problem. Money, you said the decision. Okay, so I said money is not neutral because if you don't spend on something desperately needed, that causes death. That can cause suffering and death, or it can cause you know fighting among states or within states and so on. And you said the decision about money is not neutral. I would say money is a decision. At the federal level, money is the decision. There is no distinction yes, between yes. decisions about money and well, money, money itself. Money, money, is the, money is the is the product of a decision that's not neutral. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> that's that. Money is created for a purpose. It's yeah. Created I mean, at to the go federal... somewhere, and that is not that is never done. That is never done without a purpose. Neutrally, money right. is never created without a purpose. It's created for purposes, and and that's really what we're saying: is money is nothing. It's a, it's 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 it is the representation of a decision. Yeah, it's 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 how what what are what are federal programs funded by? They're funded yeah. by the votes. It really that is the decision. Yep. They're funded. They're funded by the votes. They're funded by the gavel hitting the desk after the votes, which is a quote from Clint Ballinger. And they're funded by the signature of the president. That's what they're funded by. They're funded by the decision. Money is a decision from the federal point of view. Correct. I agree. uh, Um, The following sums are appropriated. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to get – I want to – I don't think you explicitly mentioned this, but your articles reminded me of this and that is, or maybe think of this. People are loath to think of the government having the power of the purse, like, you know, as if it's not already there, but they're like, Oh, if you give money to, if you give the creation power to create money to the central government, they're going to abuse it and we'll have inflation and we'll have horrible things. Setting aside that it's not already there, because it's obviously already there, and it's been there forever, even even before the gold standard. That's how it's been there. But it's like, okay, imagine that you, you yourself, have the power to create money in your basement. Would that be a bad thing for you? Would that cause disaster? Would that cause? Would you cause disaster by doing that? And I think, I think, like you know, if if I was given the power to create money. 
I would pay my bills. I would help people. I would do good things with it because I'm a good person. But yet, you know, they imagine this of these these uh, federal representatives. They can't handle it. They're going to cause inflation. They're going to cause disaster. So it's not like it. Like it. I don't know. But it made me. It made me sort of realize that it's that the idea that money causes that federal government having the power of the purse would inherently be a bad thing is just an ideological. It's just ideological point of view that they're bad people, but I would handle it okay. I don't know. I don't know if you have any like response or thoughts about that. But well, I think you know what you're suggesting. I'm getting at is something I think is is a kind of profoundly profoundly reactionary element of the ideology that's inculcated with us in capitalism. That is that an anti-utopian in a bad sense. That you know any attempt to make things better is going to end up making them worse because people are so bad and selfish and nasty. And on the one hand, it's a projection of fears about yourself, but then most people aren't like that. You know what I mean? And, and as you say, most people would try, as you, the example you gave talking to the kids, most people would try and do the right thing by it. But fundamentally at the end of the day, what it says is, okay, w- whether it's going to work well or not, depends on the p- character of the government of the public authority of you know who's of the, the the structures and the people in those structures who are making the decisions it's a political act the, it's it can be it is being used it's not like my mmt is something we have to start using <laughs> mmt tells us this is the way it's working and the system is working that way and being used for pernicious purposes by people who are bought and sold by the donor class and the capitalist class, and that's the way it's being used. So we don't have to we don't have to invent a new version of where it's going to be used badly. <laughs> it's being used badly. It could yeah. it could it be used badly in a, in another way? Yes, it could. But it also could be used better. And that all depends on the political character of the government of the public authority. And that's yeah. where the, the what money is and what it does is is entirely an effect of the political situation and we have to change that and take control of the political situation and then and at the same time of the of the money production situation and there's no way around that i mean that's that's the job of people on the left and you know there's just no there's no as i say there's no situation now that's not being used badly <laughs> so yeah it's like it's like what are you talking about look around you yeah <laughs> this oh situation God. that you fear has been this way yeah. since before any of us were born yeah i mean could it be worse I really and especially in this context it drives me crazy i mean we should be doing a lot of things in this context but i do think and i i, I hope that in this context the mm mmt argument will the people will be more willing to listen to it because there you go. They just created $4 trillion. <laughs> you know, six, six, yeah, four to $6 trillion with, you know, no taxpayers, no taxpayer money. So, you know, right. how do you think? But now about it's the that? perfect tool of a uh, future, future austerity. That's, that's it. And they're going to use it. They're going to come back. We're going to collect the taxes. How, you know, they can never collect $6 trillion of taxes to make up for that. And they're going to have to give $6 trillion of bond sales. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and and so you, this is an opportunity for people to say, look at the situation we're in and give up the old framework and go with a new framework. But we're losing a lot of opportunities. I mean, we should have a general strike. People should, you know, we should be, nobody should go back to work unless they get single payer healthcare. Nobody should go back to work unless there's a job guarantee. You know, they, they've essentially put everybody on lockout, so we'll turn it into a strike, you know, but instead we're arguing about masks and, and, shit. and you know, it, it's really it's just become a discourse about Trump and it, it, and it's just, I don't know what to say. It's, it's, it's hardly, it's kind of depressing to me that this opportunity, this crisis isn't being used as the opportunity it could be. And the MMT is one aspect of that. That's one of the reasons I wrote this. I said, look at this. Here's a situation that we, we can get beyond this and we should grab the fact that the secretary of the treasury is saying, oh yeah, we don't need payroll taxes. To <laughs> yeah. I like how you call him. What, like, I, I don't know exactly how you said it, but something like the gatekeeper of the elite is saying yeah. this people. <laughs> um, okay. I have one, I want to go, I have one eh, a little bit non MMT is question. And then I want to go back to MMT, which is, I don't think the, you just said, you know, we're not taking this opportunity. I don't think this crisis, this crisis is just beginning. Because as soon as we go back to school, 
which is in the next week, starting within the next month, a lot of people are going to die and it's all going to be centered around children. And election is coming up. So whether Trump cares or not, he cares about being elected, reelected. So that's not going to those deaths are going to mean something. Those deaths are going to cause some changes. And not to mention, not just in addition to school, we still don't have a perspective of how much suffering there is out there right now. Like, you know, I mean, how many tens of millions have lost their health, lost their jobs, which means that they lost their health care. And the impact of that is not going to be seen for months still. So, you know, I, I, I don't think the crisis is over. I think it's actually going to get much worse before it gets better. Um, and I, I don't know if I said this to you, but I think the only the only positive I can see in a Biden presidency is that the crisis probably will end faster. That's the only positive I can see. You know, we'll go back to the system that gave us Trump, but at least the crisis will end quicker. That's that's my only prediction. But I want to ask you, I want to ask you, given what I just said about the crisis is not over, uh, you're much more well-rounded than, you know, you don't just dive into MMT itself. You're, you're much more well-rounded based on your posts and what you talk about. And uh, so what is your prediction of what's going to be happening or as, as, you know, we so-called get back to life, even though the crisis isn't over, like what is your prediction is going to be happening and bringing the election to it and so on? Um, do you, do you have a thought about that? You know, I, I got to say, it is extremely hard to, to, to predict. I'll say this about the coronavirus aspect of the crisis. Uh, you know, my provisional opinion now is that there won't be the crisis of, of deaths that you are suggesting. And I don't, I, this is a situation which I don't think we have any good idea of what's actually happening with this. I think everything about it has been politicized in a way that's makes it very difficult to know what's actually happening. But I, I think that the, the, the actual case inf- uh, infection rate, fatality rate is, is not, is going to go down and it has gone down. And I, I think the problem, however, the crisis is not going to go away and, and and we sh- and because as you say the economic the social economy is just devastated by this the, the evictions that are going to start the people who are out of jobs and not getting jobs back i mean the chamber of commerce i think said 40% of small businesses are going to go out of business just read today yeah. lord and taylor is closing all this business this 100 year old business restaurants in new york have been there for 100 years 50 years are yeah. closing these are none not none of this had to happen this these are things this ripples across the country you know, you, you go in, here I am in North Carolina, you go into a, a restaurant, you know, it's half full, they can only have half full. And, you know, this is, these are small businesses that, you know, and it, it I, I don't like the, oh, you know, the economy is more important. The economy is the way people live. <laughs> you know, it's not just for the capitalists. The only people who are making money out of this are the wealthiest and the biggest you know the the billionaires have gotten a hundred billion dollars new wealth in the past few months, and Amazon is all Amazon. Online. Google the, is Google Walmart. is uh, all the classroom is on online now. Walmart is is making money. They're they're it, it's the small business is who are going to be killed, and in the small businesses that are, you know, in in struggling neighborhoods in the black and brown neighborhoods, you know, these are the these are the businesses that are going to go away, and. The, the, as you say, the healthcare is gone. What are you going? It's unbelievable to me that in this crisis, the Democrats have gotten away with uh, nominating someone who will oppose. I mean, not only is in for it, but says he will oppose it, Medicare for all. You know, what are you going to do? What are you going to tell people who lost their jobs because of no fault of their own in any way of constructing fault, which is ridiculous anyway? But you know, they've lost their jobs and they were forced out of work. And you tell them they can't have health care. Oh, we're going to cut your premiums. We'll we'll fiddle around with the ACA so that, you know, it'll be, you know, two thousand five hundred twenty five hundred dollars a year versus three thousand dollars a year. I mean, this is crazy. And this is what I mean when I say, you know, I hope I think the eviction crisis may actually really trigger demonstrations and demands in the street. But they have to be. But you see, they're going to be all the, a lot of the activists on the Democratic left are going to try and damp it, tamp it down because it'll be OK once we'll get back to normal once Biden's. In power. I don't think we're getting back to normal once Biden's in power. 
You know, what's the, how can you get the, the economy back? How can you get all those small businesses back? What are you going to do about that? This is a crazy situation. So I don't know. I have no prediction for the election. Anybody you know, uh, who thinks they know who's going to win this election, you know. I'm not asking about the me. election. Yeah. I'm not asking about the election. I'm just asking about this crisis. I don't know. What- yeah, yeah. It is, I think you're right. The crisis, the crisis is not over. And I think the eviction aspect of it is going to be a huge uh, a motor that's going to rev it up even even worse. Uh, I don't think the coronavirus thing is going to be – I, I, I'm not sure, and I don't know what quite to say about that. And I've had a lot of – I struggle with myself, but think about that. I don't think I think – I, think I, I, I mean, if you're saying the eviction crisis is going to be, you know, that's going to be the, you know, the final straw or however you're saying it. I mean, that means that people are, are under pressure to go to work, desperate to pay their rent and mm-hmm. desperate to have health care. And that's going to cause death. That's going to cause spreading of this virus. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I'm, not I, saying that's, I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be as bad as perhaps I'm saying, but clearly that has an influence on that. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm skeptical about how many deaths that's going to cause and, and, and what, what you can do about a virus like this and what, what is actually happening. But that's a, that's a very difficult issue to deal with. And I really am am confused about it. Uh, And I think that it's been politicized in a way that, and I'm going to bet you that if Biden is elected, there'll be a lot less talk about that uh, because that's going to be part of getting back to normal <laughs> uh, about, about how t- dangerous the virus is, how many thousands, millions more people are going to die about it, blah, blah, blah. That's another, I think that, 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 that the coronavirus thing is, is, is bad, but not as bad at the end of the day as it could have been, or that a lot of people made it out to be. And it's, it's going to be, it's going to resolve in a way that's, you know, I think a lot of people politically want it, not to resolve because it's a problem for Trump. And it is the biggest problem for Trump. It <laughs> has been the thing that's hurt Trump the most. Uh, but, you know, that's going to, we'll find out. It's going to happen or it's not going to happen. And, but, but even whatever happens with that, I'm saying there is a social, there's a crisis in the social economy that is not going away. Uh, and I don't know how anybody's going to deal with this at this point. You know, because they're going to they, precisely, they're all going to come in, whether it's Biden and Pelosi or Trump and Mnuchin, they're going to come back and they say, oh, we have to get this money back. You know, we're going to balance the budget. Look what's the deficit. All right. Yeah. Using <laughs> our, our big yeah. spending of helping the rich to yeah. give austerity to the poor in the yeah. future. Yeah. And the Democrats will say we need to raise taxes for the rich and they will a little bit, <laughs> but they'll raise taxes on everybody, which is stupid. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they'll, uh, and the Republicans will come. Oh, we cut taxes on the rich some more, you know, which is not going to help anybody. And we're in a very bad situation politically for for the stability of the country. That they have no look at what they put up. I mean, these guys are idiots. <laughs> I mean, they really are disastrous. Not just the individuals, Trump and, and Biden, but you know, the the the, the cohorts of people and behind them. Are people have no answers to anything except more of the worse? Oh and, no, they have plenty of answers, just not the kind that are going yeah, to do anything. Yeah, more of for the us. worse. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. it's so I don't you know I don't know. I mean, it's got to be. You, I, I'm sorry, but the only way it's going to change is there's a lot of people out in the streets burning stuff down because uh, that's the only thing that's going to wake people up. That's what that's what that's what changed, you know and. It's got to be about more than police. It's got to be about the social issues and healthcare mm. and jobs. Mm. Can't be about police, just about police. Well, do you do you agree with my assessment that it the the one benefit that I do? I mean, I if we get Biden, we're right back to the system that gave us Trump. But yes. setting that aside, the one good thing about it would be that the crisis will end quicker. The health crisis will end. No, quicker I don't than see. That. I don't see. I don't, I don't see how the health crisis will end quicker. What? Oh, what, because what you're saying of, people are going to go to sleep, and so they're not going to be. Well, I know. I just first of all, you're going to ha- you're going to get health care for people. You're going to get people back in their in their people who are evicted back in their homes. You're no, but get- that's not. But but yes, I I, I agree <sighs> that all that's going to stay the same. But just just the the spreading of the virus itself, like there's a little more of a potential of a five week shutdown, for example. I, I don't think that that's exactly yeah. going to happen. But I think something. Along I don't think those I lines- don't think I don't think that's not convinced that that's something that would help anyway. Well, okay, but, okay but setting that aside, I'm just asking, regardless of the methods, that 
you're saying that Biden would not end the crisis quicker than Trump would end the crisis because people are no. going to be going to sleep and not be rising up. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm not saying, you know, I think my opinion, the only good thing of a Biden administration, and I am not going to vote for either of them. <laughs> and, and I think we have an electoral system in the country that's so bad, it's hardly worth voting, really, you know, uh, but that's, a, that's another issue. But I think that the one thing that, 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 you know, when Trump was elected, you know, the day after, I thought he was going to lose. Everybody thought he was going to lose. And I said, you know, okay, on the one hand, there's what they call the accelerationist argument, which a lot of, which, you know, revolutionary socialists might make good. Trump's elected. That's going to make things worse. And it's going to drive people to be more radical. And I said, no, I'm afraid what is going to happen really is it's just going to mean everybody's going to say, oh, you see, Trump's the problem. Trump's the problem. Trump's the problem. We've got to get back to the Democrats. And that's of what's course. happened. And that's what's happened. So... You know, the way I've described it is Trump's like how he, like a bird got in the house. And, he, you know, this guy is flying around, knocking down lamps and flying into things and crapping all over the furniture. And everybody's <laughs> attention is focused on the goddamn bird in the house. Meanwhile, you know, someone's in the kitchen burning down and people are getting children chilled in the basement. And children, and... Are, children are starving in the, in be, in the bedroom. And the, right. the, the termites are reading down the whole goddamn house, right? So and nobody's even paying attention to that because you got this bird running around. That's an idiotic bird. So, and from my perspective, at least at this point, and what I said in 2016 was really, I think it might be better if Clinton had been elected because the Democrats have to fail again on their own. They got to go through mm. what they started, the famous line from 2001 Space Odds, failure mode analysis. If Trump's elected again, it'll just be, oh my God, everything's terrible. The entire country's racist and sexist. And mm. we, we need to, we got to, we got to find a better Democratic candidate for the next time. You know what I mean? Mm. And, you got to have Biden get in there and fail. I mean, the Democrats have to fail in a way that, I mean, they already have a lot of people, a lot more people who were, I'll vote for a good but he's Democrat. Gonna do the best he, but he's going to do the best he can to clean up Trump's mess. I know he will, but he, you know, and he's no, going to saying, No, I'm saying that that's going to be the excuse of his failure is that just Trump left us too big of a mess. Yeah, but you got to let him ha let it have the failure. You got to let him have the failure. And there's going to be wars and there's going to be crap. And there's going to be a lot of crap that people don't like. And people are going to be more and more disaffected from the Democratic Party. More people are now than were in 2016. And the people who were, you know, Working for Bernie, a lot of those people are not, you know, 75% of them more, I think, voted for for Hillary in 2016. More, bigger percentage of Bernie people voted for Hillary in 2016 than Hillary people voted for, voted for, for Obama. For Obama, yeah. 2008. Now you're going to have a lot less of the Bernie people voting. And they're, and they're not just pissed off about the, the primaries. They're finished with the Democratic Party, especially since they can't even get on board with Medicare for all in this context. I mean, it's the simplest thing in the world and a winning political argument if you make the argument. But again, so, it's a, it, Medicare for all is power and yep. they just can't, they just well, can't bring they're, themselves they're to it. They're bought and paid for by the, by the pharmaceutical and drug industry. But so yep. what I'm saying is, you know, for me, that's the, 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 the I, I, I do not want to spend four more years talking about Donald Trump. I mean, this is just nuts. <sighs> And but it'll be another yeah he's he's in a, he's a distraction from 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 everything and the Democrats from the use, system that gave it, yeah yeah the Democrats use him to distract and to, to corral the left into for you know for hating Donald Trump and RussiaGate and he's a Russian he's Putin's puppet and you know and blah 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 and and they'll do that for another four years and it'll take that much longer for the Democratic Party. To be destroyed, which it has to be. <laughs> I hate to say it, but you know the Democrats have to. People have to see. You know, people went along with Obama because it was a revel, you know important part of American history. Not the first black, but and he was smart, and he was a smooth talker, and he was a great talker, and he blah blah blah. But you know, Biden isn't going to do that, and Kamala Harris, and then people are just fed up with that. That game is over for people. For too many people, that game is over. So you know, I want to you know. You can't have the excuse it was Donald Trump's fault four years from now. Oh, if only we hadn't. Had Who Donald gave us Trump Donald Trump to begin with? Yeah. Joe Biden. Yeah, I, you know, you, wanting Biden is like you know you 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 fell to the you fell to the ground, and you're trying to 
get back up 10 feet <laughs> to where you were before you hit the ground. <laughs> you know? so, I, don't, I, I missed that. I actually missed so, that. So it's like, you know, you're on the ground, you fell to the ground, you got smashed, you, you fell off a cliff and you landed on the ground with Donald Trump. And now you get, you go voting for Biden. It's like, oh, I want to get up 10 more. I want to go up 10 feet to where I was 10 feet above before I hit the ground. <laughs> oh, you're going to hit the ground. Okay. Because the cliff is a mile or you know, hundreds of feet up. I got it. I got it. So, so that's You're my take thought? on that's my take okay. on, on Biden. Okay, uh, okay. I want to go back to uh, the. I was reading your your most recent article. Uh, I'll put links to all of them in the description. Uh, there's this very interesting cycle that I can't quite get my head around. I want you to describe the cycle, and then I want to, I want to try and describe this entire cycle, and then see the flaw in it. And that is, if it, Trump getting rid of payroll taxes by definition to those who don't understand the economy, is that Trump wants to destroy Social Security. So getting rid of FICA taxes, which is the trust fund that supposedly funds Social Security. And so therefore, people, neoliberal progressives, leftist people who don't understand how the economy works, say, we have to, and this was what I said near the very beginning, I was like, I have to have health care Therefore, I have to punch. The only way I can get health care is punching myself in the face. You get rid of you get rid of FICA taxes. Actually, let me. I wrote this down to get this a little clearer. If someone is desperate for Social Security payment and the government is legally obligated to make them, then what economic harm do these people really think is going to happen? And it has to have something to do with that their taxes funded or that they're going to have to raise my taxes more. But but then we're back into the same position as you were where, that before the, you know, he's lowering FICA taxes. Therefore, that means he has to raise my FICA taxes. Like, what are they talking about? It's like this, this fear that they have. I, I, I can't quite get my mind around it, but it's just like it's a circular argument that doesn't make sense somehow. And I can't quite I, I'm, does that does that give you anything to go with? Hopefully. Well, clearly, the assumption and the premise is that the payroll taxes fund the program. So therefore, if you cut the payroll taxes, you're undermining the program. Okay, so what I tried to do in my article is to say, even FDR said the payroll taxes don't really fund the program. <laughs> you know, And what he said is, is, the, is the ideology that you're getting to. He said, I'll put those in there because it will be political cover. Because that is saying these people deserve the benefit. They've earned that benefit by paying for it. Yeah, and, and you call it an oxymoron, an earned yeah, entitlement well that, I, is an oxymoron. I quoted, I quoted, I think his name is Alan Nasser, a great article about from three or four years ago about how FDR botched Social Security by doing this, by creating this notion of an earned ben, an earned right, which is an oxymoron, right? So mm -hmm. I and and again, so it's it's people are in the mindset, and everybody is working class people. But I gotta. And it's not bad. It's not, you know, ethically, it's not a bad I, notion to be in. I got I to gotta pay for what I'm getting. You know, I, I, I have to work for what I'm getting, which is a different thing. <laughs> That's the point. Those are two different things. And Wait, but, what are two different things now? Pay for and work for. <laughs> oh. But, but, you know, people want to have the sense that I'm not just taking something because I, I'm, not, I'm not taking anything. So, but you, but we have to overcome that in the sense that we have a society that has built up wealth. You know, we have the ability to provide this as a right. You know, and that's good for capitalism. They've developed things. You know, that's the socialism is the culmination of capitalism in a certain sense. You know, capitalism has demonstrated we can create new values and we can create a lot of wealth. And now we've got to decide what we want, what wealths we want to create and what we want to do with them and take that under control. People, you know, it's like people don't say, oh, I, I want the right to clean water. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's not something that's come from, you know, it's, it's hard. It was hard for us to I build. I worked hard for my clean water. Yeah, it was. But and it's true. It was, it, we, it's not, you're not getting that from nothing. You're getting that because society and the history of the development of society, and we've organized it in such a way that people can say we have a right to clean water. And we, that's what we should say about Social Security. We have a right to a decent retirement and mm -hmm. not something 
oh, we're going to, you know, unless, unless I, as you say, punch yourself in the face for it, unless I kind of suffer for it a little, I don't deserve it. You know, that's, that's a kind of Calvinistic capitalist ideology that we all are, you know, a lot of people are very much involved in. And we, it's not, you're not stealing something by saying we have the wealth in this society to provide a decent uh, retirement for everybody and to provide, to make sure everybody can go to the doctor without paying a bill that's going to bankrupt them. We can do that. That's not stealing something. That's not taking something that doesn't belong to you. It's using the wealth of society that we all have created, that society has created and the working class has created to make sure everybody has certain things that couldn't hundred years ago be considered rights, but now can be considered rights because we've built that wealth. So that's, we got to get into that mindset, but we're still in this and FDR promoted, you know, encouraged it because he was in that mindset himself and he wanted, he thought it would be political and ideological protection from anybody who wanted to take away. See, they, they're paying for it. They get the, they've, they've whipped themselves for it. They've suffered them. They've suffered for it, but it doesn't really work. It hasn't worked as a, as a, it may have worked for a while, but it's certainly not working now. And for 20, 30 years, it's, you know, it's, it, it's the Achilles heel that people are going to chip away at. Oh, they're going to keep raising those taxes. They keep raising your taxes. And every worker in society looks at that paycheck and says, oh, Jesus, where did the money go? You know? And, and, you know, and we don't need it anymore. And we, but we have to, it is hard to get out of. And because it's just promoted everywhere in all kinds of things. And it's, there's, there's an element of it that's not a bad thing. You want to say, uh, you know, I, I have earned something, you know? Okay, but we, that's where you have to think socially. Socially, as a society, we've earned the ability to provide things as a right that we couldn't have provided 100 years ago, but we now can. And we've, we have earned that as a society. And no individual is stealing anything by accepting that as a right and demanding it as a right when it's possible to do that. And, and this actually, I wonder if you... What this is making me think of, and I wonder what you see the connection, if there is a connection, of the profitability of federal programs. Like the post office is not profitable and therefore it should be shut down. Like it, it, it seems to, you know, I guess it's just related to taxes, fund spending and even, you know, barter versus chartalism that, that if that's true, if we truly need money from the people, then that by logical extension that I'm confident is true, although I can't quite think of it at the moment, that Therefore, federal programs have to be profitable. And if they're not profitable, then they should go away. And that's what's happening to the post office right now. I mean, there's underlying reasons that are unrelated to that, the 75-year nonsense. Um, but do, do you see it? Does that seem related to you? Sure. It's, it's, you know, it's the same as thinking that you have to collect everything you spend back in taxes. <laughs> you know, that you got to run the government like a business or you'll be in deficit. It's, de it's bad for business to be in deficit. So you have to collect it. So the post office uh, has to, if, if they're going to spend money, they have to get that money somewhere to, you know, they have to balance their books. The money that the government puts into society, if it leaves it in society, that's a good thing. And the money that the government puts in the post office, if it leaves it in the post office and it goes into the, the, the to support the, the lives and material well-being of the workers who work in the post office and support the, the communication between people and society, that's a good thing. It doesn't have to be hmm. given back. You know, there's no you don't have to give it back. The, the government doesn't need the money. <laughs> so and, it's, and, it's interesting. It's like post office so-called losing money is really giving value to value, exactly. non-monetary value. To the private sector, exactly. to actual people. That's hmm. you're using money to provide value to people. And you don't need to get it back. It, 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 the government doesn't need it for any reason. But this ideology since the 70s has been completely, you know, we got to run government programs like businesses. And, and you know, that's, that's fiscal responsibility. I mean, this is the notion that, that this notion of fiscal responsibility, it's a Calvinist notion that we don't deserve to use the wealth that we've created for ourselves unless we pay some other price for it, <laughs> you know, unless we do some penance <laughs> in advance, mm. uh, some preemptive penance for having getting, for, for, for having this, uh, this benefit, you know, and it's, it's nuts and we got it, but it's there. It's really there and it's very strong in people. And, you know, you, you what do you have to pay to get, 
you know, if you were, uh, I don't want to use the word of family with the parents and children because it's not children, you know, but if you were a band of brothers and sisters on an island, you know, what would you have to pay each other to have a place to live and to get some food? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? If there's food there, yeah, you eat it. You know, did you pay the tree? If there's, if you've built a garden together, you know, and we have as a society done that, and you organize yourselves as a group of people so that you figure out who does what work and and that's done, then you don't have to pay every time you take a take an apple or a carrot. But you know, that's uh, there's, but because we we don't think we own the wealth, that's the point, and we don't own the wealth. But it- we don't own the wealth of society, and we think we have to pay for that wealth that we, in a general sense, have created. And as, as I'm, and that's the class analysis. The working class created that wealth, and the working class should own it and decide what it's used for. <laughs> and uh, you know, if you don't have that political, ethical, political argument, then you you're you're basically on this kind of how do you exchange what for what? Well, really, it actually. It's a mindset, the profitability of federal programs, and it, a lot of what we've been talking about is, is a mindset of that the only thing that's valuable is money. That the value, there is no such thing as value yeah, outside exactly. of money. And it's like, and it's like a, an analogy that I keep going back to, which is the child is not what's valuable. Their good report card is what's valuable. I only care about them if I can see them through their mm. report card. But that report card is filtered through the system. It's filtered through mm. the teachers. It's filtered through the report card, the, the district, the district, the, uh, the standards. So it's like I only recognize actual value, non-monetary value, if it can go through you yep. know, basically maths and models, maths and models. And which is interesting because that contradicts, which I'm only learning, that contradicts the idea in mainstream economics that money basically doesn't exist. Money doesn't exist because they see money as a commodity. They don't see it as a relationship, as a you know a, a, an IOU or an accounting of a relationship, as in chartalism, as in MMT. Um, but that, but then on the other side of that is is the only kind of value that I believe in is it, basically they don't recognize that there are humans and that there are things that you can't measure and that there are feelings and that there mm-hmm. are you know. I don't well, know, you know, the, 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 I go back to that thing I saw. It just struck me. It was the perfect perfect vignette you know the guy on the street in england saying to this young guy mm. what do you think it costs for to deliver a baby in the united states and his there's a price for that that's what we should be saying about a lot of things there's a price for that what why would monetary there be a, why would a there be monetary a price? price for that yeah. <laughs> why would there be a price for that <laughs> you know i mean isn't that something that we have developed the ability to do to deliver babies without mm. paying a price for it don't we want to do that? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like, did the did the baby have to earn the right yeah. to that service? You know, did the, did the parent, like, but did the parents have to earn the right to to buy it. You got to buy your baby. You you read you read the movie. You read the movie. You read <laughs> you read the book. You read the book Debt, right? I'm pretty sure you did because I saw uh, you mention Graeber okay, in one yeah, of your articles. Okay, right, good. Did you read the book Debt by Graeber? I, I, I don't think so. No. Okay, but do you know about it? It's basically an, yeah. a compendium of uh, evidence that, yeah. that uh, yeah. the state theory of money is what is barter's nonsense and is not supported by historical evidence, and that, that state theory of money chartalism is supported by historical evidence. And he talks about, you know, the origin of a lot of the words debt and and is from a religious background, and that that religion and that society sets people up to be in debt before they're even born to feel a sensation of debt before they're even born. Like Jesus, Jesus died for our sins and therefore mm-hmm. we are in debt to him and to the church before you're even born. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that, as I say, it's a Calvinistic, uh, capitalist Cal- Calvinism in a certain way, you know, we have to pay Can for you- our sins. Exactly. And one of our yeah. sins is having children. I guess. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Existing, yeah. existing, really. Yeah, existing. Exactly. Exactly. You have to, you have to suffer. Show us that you suffering. And, but it, the, the nasty thing about it is that the people who are demanding that in our society are people who do not suffer at all. And haven't, and haven't for a fucking day in their, excuse me, in their lives, had to suffer. And they're saying- So who criticized the job guarantee yeah. except for those who are yeah. not 
desperate oh, for a job. Oh, we we we've we've earned our money, which usually means my grandfather, <laughs> you know, ripped off somebody, you know, 150 years ago. My great grandfather and passed it down to the family, or we sat around mm. and collected interest. You mm. know, you know, we earned our money. Now you got to show us that you deserve. Our money, <laughs> you see, because it's taxpayer money. You guys, you deserve our money. So all of it is wrapped up in that cycle of, you know, who who earns and who doesn't earn, who pays and who doesn't pay, who suffers and who doesn't suffer, and that's the what we got away from. This is not about paying for things. It's about creating real resources and deciding where they go. <laughs> and real resources is value. Yep, real values yep. and exciting where they go. So okay, what, cool. what values um, we want to create and, what, and where, we want to, where, where, where we want them to go and who we want to have exp, uh, uh, appropriate them and use them. Great. Um, okay. Any closing thoughts before anything that you want to wrap up before, before we stop? No, uh, I really appreciate you having me on for so long. Uh, uh, you've uh, suffered along with me <laughs> and I appreciate uh, it. And I'm glad you, uh, you found me. And responded to uh, my comment and looked at my articles and decided you want to give me a chance to talk with you. And uh, it's been great. You know, thanks a lot. Uh, and uh, I hope I've been, I hope you found it useful and helpful and productive. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for your articles, this is particularly the one that really influenced me early in my learning, which was the taxpayer, say the title of it. Taxpayer Money. Uh, taxpayer money ah. will, will undermine Medicare for all and every other social program. There you go. That something like that. That was very inf- influential in my early okay. uh, early days of MMT. So thank you for that. Um, okay. Uh, why don't you uh, before we get off? Why don't you you know plug plug your stuff? Plug your, oh, your yeah, sites please, and your uh, shows and stuff. You know, uh, follow me on Facebook at the Polemicist. Follow me on Twitter at at the Polemicist underscore. And, uh, you know, sign up for email notifications on my website, thepolemicist.net. And you can find my work there and usually published on Counterpunch and other, other publishing sites around the net. So uh, look for me, Jim Kavanagh, without a U, K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H, also <laughs> under my pseudonym, The Polemicist. Great. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been really nice talking with you and uh, watching your stuff online. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. You can find Rectech on SoundCloud and Spotify at W-R-E-C-K underscore T-E-C-H. To record Activist MMT, I use the iOS phone app Tape a Call Plus for recording phone calls and Zencaster for internet-based recordings. My post-production workflow starts by editing on the iOS app AnyTune Pro Plus, then transferring those timestamps to my Windows desktop. At that point, I crudely process the audio in Audacity and then implement the edits and do all the final processing in the Reaper Digital Audio Workstation. Activist MMT is hosted by Libsyn and the video teasers are created with the online Headliner app.
Today is part two of my two-part conversation with Marxist academic and blogger Jim Cavanaugh. Jim is taught at Princeton, Carnegie Mellon, and Wesleyan Universities. He was also a regular guest on the internet radio show Loud and Clear with Brian Becker and John Kirikow. He's currently an author at Counterpunch and editor at The Polemicist. Jim and I continue our conversation about the relationship between Marxism and the MMT, and also take a brief diversion to talk about our prognosis for the coronavirus health crisis. A full introduction can be found before part one, but for now, let's get right back to our conversation. <laughs> 